Welcome back, universe, to the SFBCPC Season 1. That's an abbreve for Science Fiction Book Club Podcast Season 1. On this week's episode, we'll be talking about The Three-Body Problem by Earth author Liu Cixin, uh, written in Earth Year 2006 and translated into English by Ken Liu in Earth Year 2014. We're broadcasting from the Galactic Center in 900 years in your future. We didn't start the fire. No, we didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. Rock around the clock. James Dean Brooke has got a winning team. Baby, Elvis Presley, Disneyland, Bardo, Budapest, Alabama, Khrushchev, Princess Grace, Peyton Place, trouble in the Suez. We didn't start the fire. It has been always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't start the fire. No, we didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. I'm your host, Brent Aldrich. And joining me, as always, via holographic projection is John Love. Hi, John. Hello. Uh, do you have any snacks today? Uh, not currently, but no. I'm planning on ordering some in. Okay. Like, uh, what do you order? Uh, Jimmy John's 3.0. Oh, of course. Uh, are they fast? How fast would you say they are? They're actually pretty slow. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they kind of suck. How slow? I ordered it. Two space years ago, and they're still not here. Okay. So instead, I'm gonna order it. I meant I ordered it two space years ago, and it's still not here. Freaky. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And not fast. Freaky slow. Freaky slow. Pretty much. What's That's their, their slogan? Yeah, their 3.0 slogan, right? Yeah. Okay. Freaky slow. <laughs> There's a whole big movement for slow food, like yeah. the slow food movement, and they really took it to an extreme. Mm-hmm. Like this is, they might have even grown my food by by now. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, and the adjective freaky in relationship to slow, I don't know what that implies exactly. Yeah, a very like, scary version of slow. Mm-hmm. Which would that, what would that mean? I don't know. You'll be freaked out when you get it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Can't, can't, can't wait, but I guess I have to. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, John, uh, have you seen Dyson floating around the pod today? Uh, he floats? I, I say that. I've never seen him float around the pod. Yeah. I've seen him walk around the, walk around the pod. He does it I've seen when him you're rock not, around the clock. When you're not looking. God, mother. Yeah. Talk uh, bad about me against my back. Right where your eyes oh, don't go. I didn't see you there. I was trying to talk <laughs> bad about you against your back, but now you're here. Hi, Dyson. Hey, how are you? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good, I guess. Yeah. Cool, yeah. What have you been? Uh, what have you been up to here on the pod? So you've uh, you joined us a few weeks ago from 1980s China. That's, that's we correct. we yeah. captured you here. At, we invited you to stay here. Yes, very randomly. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you been? What have you been doing here? Yeah, I've been working on my English accent actually. Really? Can you tell it's got a little bit better than last time? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, all I know about English is from reading these books, and you know, yeah, the yeah. voice in my head sounds the way that you're talking now. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. John, John's done a lot of uh, accent research himself. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Last, last last podcast, we got to hear a little bit of it. It was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I'd say top 
uh, top accents so far on the podcast. Probably so. Awesome. Yep. Maybe there'll be more of that later. We'll see. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Are you working on any Mandarin? On Mandarin? Uh, we have a Chinese ugh. author today. We do have a Chinese author, right. but luckily we have the English translation because, you know, we, uh, well, we don't have any the Mandarin books here. Because if we did, we probably would just be learning, have learned that language instead. Well, yeah, I mean, we've, we've already learned one dead language, English, from these books. Right. And didn't figure there was any sense in learning a second one. Exactly. Awesome. And again, like all these books are in English already, so it would have been a real, you know, real hassle to find the English. So, Dyson, you, you found a, you read a, a Mandarin Chinese version of this book, correct? Yes, I did, like, uh, months ago. Okay. First year. Mm-hmm. Month? Yeah. How long is a month? I don't know. It's like a, it's like a day here. How long is a day? Oh, a day, he lo- how long is a day here, though? Yeah, it's like oh. so, as long as a day here. That's so fair. about, yeah, about thirty Earth days from my research. Phoenix. Okay, so we all research. Yeah. Okay. Done a lot of research. Mm-hmm. Accent research. <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. The translation Science. of time. Um, yeah. You know, kind of a scientist. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Floating around here doing science. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was my real problem with when you said he was floating around here, because I'm pretty sure I'm the only one who floats around here. So, you know, I don't want my territory uh, hypothetically tread upon. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, John usually floats about, uh, I'd say, six feet above the ground wow, here. Wow, that's, yeah. that's why I couldn't sleep at night. <laughs> was that floating? Yeah, there's a thing, you know, up there, right? Was Wait a minute. <laughs> Would you describe it as a thing or a ghost? A ghost. I prefer a ghost. Yeah. That's why I have a nightmare. It's because of you. Not me. I'm not a ghost. Well, okay. All right. I've been suspecting hauntings on this pod for a long time now, though. So that's something we should maybe look into. I've never, I mean, I said, I mentioned before that I'm friends with Casper. He's never been on the ship. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have powwows elsewhere, Mm -hmm. but, um, but not here. Mm-hmm. So, never been a ghost on the ship. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. So, this author of The Three-Body Problem, this book was originally written in Chinese. Yes. In Mandarin? Yes, in Mandarin. Yes. Okay. I don't really know what that means, but it's a thing I was told to say. Uh, translated into English. So, Dyson read the version in Chinese. John and I read a version in English, so we don't actually know how those compare, how those hold up. Exactly. I think that'll be a question maybe we'll get to the bottom of today. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, uh, As far as I know, there's only one Chinese word in the English book, in the translation. Which really? Is, well, yeah, which is one that you've taught us, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, da. Is that what was? <laughs> da. Yeah, da, da, yeah, yeah. Da, 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 da yeah. means big. Da, da, yeah. Yeah. It means big, yes. Yeah. Yes, correct, yes. I was pleased to see that. I felt like I actually I actually felt like I knew something when I saw that. Yeah, for sure. Um, like, like I knew exactly what it meant. Yeah, where did the word come from? In the book? Yeah, in the book, yeah. It's called it connected to the character. Da, da Shi. Oh, that's yeah. a name. The character, Da Shi. Yeah. The great cop, who's a crooked cop, mm-hmm. yeah. Dashi in the book. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, the one, the one Chinese word that, that stuck around in the translation. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah we can easy to see. Uh, yeah, we remember Steve, right? He showed up. Steve, who was, yeah, Steve, who was on the episode with you? Yeah, yeah. He's, you know, he's pretty big, right? Da Steve, Da exactly. Steve, smart. Yes, that's what I want to say. Oh, all right. Yeah. I, 
feel really self-righteous right now. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. No, as, as far as I can remember, that was the only Chinese word that stuck around in the translation. Obviously, names and things um, stay as names. Um, but as far as actual language, I think that was the only one that I remember. And I knew it. Yep, we nailed it. I mean, as far as I could remember, there were no chinois in the book. <laughs> right. Which is Which, the only other Chinese thing. Maybe that chinois. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately not. No. I was hoping for a lot more Melita Chinois in this book. Exactly. You know, it seemed like, I mean, the cover of the book it has green on it. It seems like Chinois, you know, part of their name actually means green something, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, the, for the uninitiated, Melita mm-hmm. uh, Chinois, which we've learned from our friend Dyson here, means uh, pretty frog. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, so, would, how would you say big pretty frog? I would say da Melita Chinois. <laughs> Yes, that's totally that's totally right. But thank you. It just sounds weird. You know? <laughs> we don't we don't see that often in English. You don't say right? big pretty frogs big, pretty in frog. 1980s China. Are yeah. there not a lot of big pretty frogs where you come from? It's I mean that's yeah they are pretty small but it's still weird. You'll see that's a big pretty frog. <laughs> Would you say oh, that's that's pretty big frog? Would you say that ever? <laughs> well, maybe I mean if I see a, I didn't I never saw a okay real like. Da, frog. We got space frogs out here. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that before. Sometimes when you're driving around, they bounce off your windshield, mm-hmm. make a real mess. Oh no! Yeah, disgusting. They're not Melita then. <laughs> pretty ugly. I'm not yeah, pretty, ugly not. pretty ugly frogs. Uh, well, uh, how that relates to the book, I don't really know. The universe may never know. <laughs> right. Well, we did talk about the one Chinese word that shows up in the English translation, so mm-hmm. that's a thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. Where, where do we want to begin? Well, here's the thing about this book. Like, I, I think maybe this is just trending now with several of these books that we've read. It's got a pretty complex narrative. Mm-hmm. The story goes all over the place. Who's maybe the main character in any one point changes a lot. It does settle into some characters that... Maybe are the main characters. Dashi is certainly one of them. Mm-hmm. But um, but that was just my my initial impressions of this book. I'll say, as I was getting into it, the first I don't know how many chapters, but the first while, mm-hmm. what what felt different to me about this book than some of the others that we've read mm-hmm. is for a long time it's just set on the planet Earth, and seemingly regular Earth people just doing regular Earth things like going to college and having jobs mm-hmm. and so for a long time I, f- I felt like getting into this one well we compared to dune we compared to other things but getting into this one for a long time i was like this is just regular regular everyday stuff mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it gets really weird so yeah, i thought just weird. in terms of how the book was structured mm-hmm. yeah. and, and then it'll be on another in another world or in this video game or on this planet and it just gets crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's... I mean, the author obviously had a plan. He planning to, like, originally planning to write, like, a really long book. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he did it, actually. There's another two of these books. Oh, yes. in, in series? Yes, yeah, in series. So that's, that's why the pace was very slow in the first one, mm-hmm. I think. Have you read those by chance? No, but no, okay. I'm planning on to for sure. Okay. I'm to read it. Yeah. 
Well, we'll do that too then. Yeah, I'd be super curious about that actually because the way this book ends, spoilers, is just go straight to the end. It kind of <laughs> goes straight to the end. And then you get, yeah. I'm gonna audiobook the last page. Of this I'm gonna audiobook book. the last full chapter. Okay. And then we'll just be done with the podcast. Yeah. Seems yeah. Seems all right. Okay. <laughs> last mm, paragraph. Awesome. Audiobook. <laughs> This is a spoiler. Over the western horizon, the sun that was slowly sinking into the sea of clouds seemed to melt. The ruddy sun dissolved into the clouds and spread over the sky, illuminating a large patch in magnificent bloody red. My sunset, ye whispered, and sunset for humanity. (laughs) The end. Yep. (laughs) So that pretty much wraps it all up. Yeah. Um, I don't know what else is there to talk about. I don't know. That's how it all and ends. And the actual book for this week is something else. <laughs> um. Well, that's why I actually got to the end of that. And it's it's one of these maybe a little bit of bummer endings. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not bummer, but there's a lot of things that you feel like go unsaid that could happen. Right. And so hearing that there's two more books yes, makes me think. Yes. I should read those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, I totally agree. I mean, going back just to a little bit of the previous point that it seems like just sort of everyday stuff is happening for a mm. long period of time. I mean, it's, well, it starts out with the Chinese Cultural Revolution, oh, which yeah. is um, something that hopefully is not every day. Um, <laughs> and I, I mean, I don't know a ton about this history. So that was actually one of the interesting things, too, is that, um, you know, me having read all these English books, they, they tend to talk a lot about um, Western history and not at all about the Eastern history or the history of like China, for instance. And so all of this cultural revolution um, history, which seems, you know, it it was a fictionalized account uh, that took place during the Chinese cultural revolution. But a lot of the things that were actually happening in the book were historically accurate or had some relation to history, I believe. Mm -hmm. But for me, not not knowing much of this history, I felt like, you know, I might as well be on Arrakis yeah, uh, I might as well be in the Dune universe because I don't because it all seems pretty new to me and the circumstances and who's the, who are the actual good guys. Yeah, like who what's what's at stake here? That was actually pretty interesting to me. So I mean, it sort of seemed like at the very beginning, this is basically a new universe for me. And then once it got to uh, like the second section, it was like um, the the history or the, the present that we're podcasting to which I know more about that history it seemed more about that contemporary present and people just yeah going about their daily lives mm-hmm. granted their daily lives are as like particle physicists right. and you know he- heady scientific uh, careers that I don't know anything about mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah so that was kind of interesting like for the uh, for the western reader it was mm-hmm. sort of disorienting like where you actually are in the very beginning of the book mm-hmm. I found oh that's a that's a very good point. I think, yeah. Well, you know, I know. I mean, yeah. I I definitely you know knew this history from the you know from when I was a little child. So I totally have a different perspective. I'm trying to imagine what's a perspective you are in this. In this it's it's fascinating. Yeah. Well, how would you how would you describe reading? Well, the context of the book is set in with the Cultural Revolution, or just the. The Chinese history in general. Is a culture cultural re- revolution part is in the first chapter of the book? Or it's, it's very early. It's the first section. Well, I mean, three sections in the book. The thing is, we call out the ideology of 
even China right now, the 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 ideology, the chapter was hidden in the middle of the book, huh. which is weird. Oh, when you read it, yeah, the chapter is just just a little bit switched. Huh. Okay. So yeah, it's just like in the middle. Oh, they didn't they didn't okay. they didn't wipe it off. It's it's in the book, but they switched for some reason. Hmm. Well, that's that is super interesting, just mm-hmm. because. So, page one, it's set in China in 1967. Yes, that's all about right. But then, that is part of this sort of confusion at the beginning too. Is that all of a sudden it's 40 years later, or it's 20 years before that, or it's the the time jumps back and forth. Who the protagonist is in a chapter changes a lot, mm-hmm. and so certainly trying to get my bearing with. Okay, this is the Red Guard. Now this is the Red Union. This is just trying to keep track of the historical context I was in. I agree, actually, and partly it was just because we just read Dune, and then when we when we opened our English copies, the inside of the dust jacket says "With the scope of Dune." So it made made that reference. But I, I thought the same thing. In a lot of ways, it was a completely new world for me as well mm-hmm. and then it wasn't until it got weird in this video game where it was like yeah. okay now i know where i am <laughs> yeah. Awesome. yeah just a just a little little bit of reference yeah for, you like, would. for your best yeah, just like the like the 19 19 it, i think the, the revolution started at 1966 exactly the real history mm-hmm. so the chairman mo at that time was worried about all this knowledgeable people can do something against him mm-hmm. so he just like arrest anyone with degrees basically everyone mm-hmm. who has knowledge mm-hmm. I mean fine art may be better actually just like anyone who has this physics background physics chemistry this stuff gonna be arrested like without huh. question the thing mm-hmm. is just like students against their faculties professors oh, okay it's it's pretty bad but it makes sense in this book kind okay. of because the character she knows Felix and his father, mm-hmm. so just okay. a little bit of reference. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. So, so like these student youths are indoctrinated into yes, Mao. because they are very they were very. I mean, every country I think students are very innocent and mm-hmm. it was impressionable. Easy, yes, mm-hmm. it's easy to manipulate. Mm-hmm. That word, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting, because, I mean, this, I can't remember his name, and that's actually going to be a problem for the rest of the time, because, again, me being more learned in these English books, (laughs) some of the names here are, you know, it's just not, they're not English names, they don't follow the same sort of pattern that maybe some of the English names are are written in, so I had a tough time figuring out exactly who was, like, what was going on, because there was a bunch of different names, and... They all sound to me kind of the same because I'm an ignorant floating spaceman from the future. So, you know, but so bear with me because um, I do not remember the um, the name of the character who at the very beginning, um, you know, sort of takes or, or defends his his right to, to know all of these like physics, like about physics and about these hard sciences um, as he's getting like beaten to death essentially by some of his students. Yes. Um, so I can't remember his name. Family name is Yi. Family name is Yi. Um, or Yi. That's close Yee. enough. <laughs> what would you say? Yeah. 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 It is a family name. Zetai. 
Yeah, is it tie? I don't know. I'll say yeah. Yeah, Zhe Tai. Alright, I'm gonna try and say that as, as like little times <laughs> possible because it's gonna be tough for me to get through that. But um but his so basically this um famous academic was beaten to death by some of his students for continuing to defend his right to have these sort of basic scientific facts. Um and his daughter became became one of the major protagonists after this point and it really seems to like sort of drive a lot of her motives a lot of her relationships to humanity and the world that yeah. she's a part of so we never see um this yi again uh in the book but but what happens to him at the very beginning becomes you know a real yes. like important point yes. in, in the entire book so um so yeah and i think that was pretty interesting and, and it totally brings brings home that point of what you were saying about the way that these youths were indoctrinated and what they were, you know, what they ended up doing for for some of these beliefs that they were handed. Um, uh, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, the sort of the quest for knowledge and these different ideas become somewhat of the hero, or at least the the driving factor in the story, mm -hmm. which I think is kind of interesting. I'm I'm glad we started here actually as well. Because we started I, at the very end. Of the oh, right. <laughs> we started, we started with the very last paragraph. <laughs> we came back. But well, I'm glad the second thing we did was the very start of the book. That makes sense. <laughs> um, oh man. Um, well, because I I even forgotten by the time I got to that end, I, I'd really even forgotten about that very first couple chapters scenes yeah. that are set in 1967 at the height of the cultural revolution but that certainly influences the course of the rest of the book but yes. just the setting of this changes so often that it's really easy to almost forget about that background history mm -hmm. so i'm glad we did that dyson do you want to um just up front help us with a couple of these names Sure. The, so there's a couple that I know we're going to talk about several times. So his daughter, who becomes this pr protagonist. Uh -huh. Well, that's uh, Ye Wenjie. Wenjie. Ye Wenjie. Ye yes. I mean, yeah, back, back, you know, the weirdest thing is back then in the 1970s, like my father's generation, mm -hmm. they always have this name contains three characters. Wenjie. It's like just sound cool. Yeah, is a family name. Uh, Wenjie is a first name. I mean, my name is just like my Mandarin name, not Dyson. Mm -hmm. It's just Sun Di. It's just two. Yeah. Because it's something new, something uh, shorter. Huh. Yeah. Um, back In then, the it's like always three characters. Okay. Yeah. Well, then the other one, well, there's Dashi. We <laughs> feel like we know. <laughs> yeah. But then the other one, and I, I'll, I'll tell you that... Uh -huh. I have a way that I'm going to pronounce it, but okay, you, you tell me how it's actually pronounced. Wang Miao. Okay. I've just been calling him Wang Miao. Oh, that's <laughs> like, a little, like a little kitty cat. Wang <laughs> Miao. Okay. Wang Miao. Wang Miao. Wang Miao. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be tough. <laughs> um, All right. Well, those are the ones. Those are the, some of the, I think, the main characters who will come up a lot and... I don't want to butcher their names. Uh, because they seem like actual real names, unlike Paul Dib, which I feel like I can say however I want from Dib. <laughs> right, exactly. That one's totally invented. So. <laughs> yeah. 
That one, yeah, doesn't matter so much. Um, yeah. yeah, we don't want to step on any actual vibrant cultures in the present that we're podcasting back mm-hmm. to. So, yeah. <sighs> bear with us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're the ignorant, again, ignorant Westerners of the future, so, <laughs> sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm from the Midwest of the universe, so... <laughs> And we kind of live in like the trailer park of this section of the galaxy. So it's, you could describe that was it a cultural there. reference that I was bringing back from you know, yeah. from reading different books too. Because mm-hmm. I don't really know what that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but whatever. Um, where are we going from here? Well, there's a there's a few things that we could do. I, I think um, you know I was trying to look early on. It seemed like there were several references early on that would refer to the rest of someone's life or the rest of humankind. There were a whole lot of these, maybe, not a premonition, because it wasn't like a thing that happened that referred to something in the future. It was more just like, now I've already forgotten how to pronounce. Ye Wingia Wingia would always remember that for the rest of her days. There would be a few things like that. Right. She's a, she's, a, she's a daughter of the, the teacher. That's right. Who's dead in the Cultural Revolution. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. Yeah. yeah, she's the daughter, which is what I said saying a little bit earlier was, so Yi Wenjie is the daughter of the, you know, the famous academic who was killed early on in the book, which I'm not even going to try to say his name again, but you guys will know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But so, like, that moment really drives like a huge part of, of especially of her story and her motives and what she's all about because right away well in the second part of the book she's I would say the main protagonist um, we hear about her um, having to well she went to sort of like labor camp where they were mm-hmm. cutting down trees yes and then yes. she eventually got well she got in trouble for owning a book Silent Spring yes. which I haven't read it but uh, but it's a book from roughly the present that we are, um, you know, close enough, roughly the present that we're um, podcasting back to about um, sort of this nat- the natural environment and the ways that humans are destroying it. Hmm. Um, she got in trouble for owning that book uh, and then was offered, I can't remember that sort of ultimatum she got by um, one of her superiors, but basically she got an ultimatum where she had to either help out the Cultural Revolution or not, and um, she decided not to, and mm-hmm. and then got transported. Somehow she got saved to to work for this uh, base for Red Coast, wow. uh, and nobody really knew what they were wow. doing. I mean, everybody had heard about this area, and this they saw this um, basically giant satellite projecting something uh, into space or, or receiving transmissions or. You know, nobody really knew what this mysterious uh, Red Coast base was doing, but she got offered a job there with, again, given an ultimatum saying you can either come work for us or or what, or you have to face all the repercussions of mm-hmm. getting owning this book and being called a traitor of, of some sort. So that, I mean, I guess is a way to maybe talk about getting into the second part of the book mm-hmm. uh, and how she becomes the main protagonist of the second part. Um, yeah, but she, she's working there with a condition that she can never leave there. That's right. right. That's a condition. Right, that's true. So she's rather to like stay away from the reality to like never mm-hmm. leave the Red yep. Coast 
Yep. Yep. So Red Coast, yeah, becomes essentially her home forever, forever. In, in the deal that she's given. Yes. Which, um, you know, maybe if she had to face repercussions, she would get, you know, nothing bad, maybe like nothing really terrible would happen to her. She'd probably go to prison or something, mm-hmm. but then be able to live out the rest of her life, you know, doing whatever she will. But um, I think she was driven again by this sort of longing for knowledge. Exactly. Like she knew, or they knew that she had very specific knowledge mm-hmm. uh, in order to help them out. And she, she said basically without even really a question, like, yes, I'm in, like mm-hmm. I will help whatever this is because, because she was really interested in like, the scientific knowledge more than anything like mm-hmm. what 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 can i actually be of a benefit like what can i do what can i learn um so yeah that was mm-hmm. pretty interesting to drove that second part which i think you consider um the ways in which it, it sort of forwarded her father's legacy like her father was killed again to push forward or, or to maintain sense. his scientific um beliefs and so she you know without question was going to use her scientific knowledge to do something, whether it benefited humanity or just the sort of revolution or whatever. She's, you know, she was in it for the science. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a, a couple things to maybe tie some of these together. So I was saying there's these references to the rest of her life. Yep. And I, I found the first two times I had noted that in the text, which both refer to these events that you guys were just talking about. So the very first time I noticed it, early on and there's this there's a, a, a part it's italicized oh I guess it's so it's it's a thing that she's thinking and this is after her father's been killed and she's is thinking it was impossible to expect a moral awakening from humankind itself that 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 to achieve moral awakening required a force outside the human race wow. this thought determined the entire direction of Eve's life and then, just 20 pages later, is when she goes up there to Radar Peak to the Red Coast Project, and they're talking to her and saying, you're going to be here for the rest of your life. And she says, quote, I can stay here for the rest of my life. And so, <laughs> well, and so that's easy. <laughs> yeah. Duh. <laughs> Da-doy. And so those two quotes, though, or those two references to for the rest of her life, both made me just take note to say, okay, one is referring to a force outside of humankind, the other is referring to this radar peak and this Red Coast project for the rest of her life. So both of these, at at that moment, I don't know their significance, but they seem like they're going to be significant for the book. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and I would say, I mean, I was thinking the whole time, we talked last last cast Mm -hmm. about how a lot of the, I mean, narrative structure and, and everything about the Douglas Adams book had to do, I mean, it was all basically a skeleton to, to put joke, to hang jokes upon. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this book was totally, it's to me, it seemed primarily like all of the narrative function and all the description of scene and everything like had to do with the author of this book just knows a ton about physics and really wants to present these scientific ideas in a way that's digestible and, you know, more entertaining than just looking at, you know, equations or proofs mm-hmm. or whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, so I thought that was an interesting, like, I don't know, potential theme. Like, yeah, again, even like the philosophical questions, like, have to do with, yeah, like the scientific discoveries and not necessarily like 
you know, this is beautiful um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's because it's significant to humans. This is just beautiful, even though it's this weird abstract idea. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, we, we think of like Yi Wenji. Yes. Uh, we think of some of her actions, like, and we'll later see, like, that they didn't have humanity as the primary um, beneficiary of these ideas. It's like this science is beautiful to me, and so it's sort of its own worthy cause in mm-hmm. some in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I thought that was an interesting connection between the slapstick comedy of Douglas Adams yeah, and right. and you know the the heady uh, science yeah. of uh, of this author whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, that, that's true. There's just heavy science in this book. I really having trouble with, but yeah. On the other hand, I really don't understand what's going on sometimes. But on the other hand, I just, maybe that makes sense, you know, because I don't. Because lots of physics that makes sense. Make I believe maybe that's true at some point. You know? Sure. Mm-hmm. No, that's just my feel feeling. Yeah. So there was within the <clears throat> so the way the narrative structure works. For instance, there's all these chapters that are titled Red Coast One, Red Coast Two, Red Coast Three. I think at least through five. And each one of those approaches the whole Red Coast project. I would say from a different perspective, whether that's a different character, or for instance, Red Coast 3 is just a series called Selected Documents from the Red Coast Project. Mm-hmm. Um, documents declassified um, about what actually happened there. And so it breaks the maybe narrative format. And so I think internally to the book, the way that these chapters will shift in who is telling it or who is the protagonist very much models one of the other big ideas in this book which is that idea that there's essentially different models for viewing reality um so there's this example early on about the shooter and the farmer Mm -hmm. there's we'll get into this video game Mm -hmm. called the three-body problem which we can talk about which even has in-world models of the universe so video weird. game. So yeah. Weird. Or there's there's other, even later on, there's some smaller ones. So there's, a, there's this idea very often that essentially two observers at different points can look at the same event and conclude very different ideas about reality. Mm-hmm. So the shooter and the farmer is the first example of that. Yeah, which... I don't know if would would, uh, would audiobooking do the, do the best job here or not. Um, you do you. Uh, you do. I don't know. Are you a shooter or a farmer? Well, I had to guess. <laughs> I mean, I would say which is easier to hold as a uh, holographic projection. Well, uh, I to think be a farmer or to hold a gun. Do you have uh, holographic guns? Uh, fuck yeah. Do you have holographic? <laughs> Farms? Shovels? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, how do you farm? Farms? Uh, uh, you, I think you use a... I don't know. Hydroponics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where it's at now. <laughs> That's where it's at. Mm-hmm. You guys can... You just wait for the future. That hydro lettuce. Mm-hmm. Hydro kale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hydro microgreens. Yeah. Give me some hydro oregano. <laughs> oh... Okay. Okay. Here is. Here's I, some. Please. Thank I should you. buy you some. Oh, thanks. 
Yeah. You know, I, I love snacks. Mm-hmm. I did bring snacks. Yeah, I forgot. I did actually bring some. Mm-hmm. I forgot about the hydro uh, oregano. Anyways, it's just a spice. So I mean, yeah. Well, it'd be really good on the the food I got from Jimmy John's. Right. Three point mm-hmm. Just um, waiting for it. Just just waiting. Maybe it'll be here by the time we leave. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. I'm just gonna audiobook it. Why not? All right. People people love it because nobody can read. Um, so here we go. In the shooter hypothesis, a good marksman shoots at a target, creating a hole every 10 centimeters. Now suppose the surface of the target is inhabited by intelligent, two-dimensional creatures, which, uh, not audiobook for right now, relates to Flatland in some ways, which is kind of interesting. Back to audiobook. Their scientists, after observing the universe, discover a great law. Quote, there exists a hole in the universe every 10 centimeters. They have mistaken the result of the marksman's momentary whim for an unalterable law of the universe. Um, so that's the that's the shooter hypothesis, um, which yeah, it makes makes a ton of sense. Like you know, we exist, you know, different creatures exist on such a small, um, you know, in such a small like, portion of the of the universe. Um, these distances are so massive. Um, you know these sort of great forces have so much more control over them than than people probably even recognize most of the time, and so so yeah, for, for scientists to take these sort of um, measurements based on very very regionally like in ter- sort of galactic terms, regionally specific scientific experiments, or whatever, like they're probably going to get laws which don't necessarily represent you know all of the universe. But there's not really any other way for them at the current time to to try and like figure out what's happening elsewhere because they're not in that space. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the shooter hypothesis. Okay, are you going to read the farmer one? Uh, how about you do it? People are probably sick of my voice. All right, and then after this, we're going to do a science experiment. Sweet. So, audiobook. The farmer hypothesis, on the other hand, has the flavor of a horror story. Every morning on a turkey farm... The farmer comes to feed the turkeys. A scientist turkey, having observed this pattern to hold without change for almost a year, makes the following discovery. Quote, Every morning at 11, food arrives. On the morning of Thanksgiving, the scientist announces this law to the other turkeys. But that morning at 11, food doesn't arrive. Instead, the farmer comes and kills the entire flock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's real... Well, Kafka-esque. Mm-hmm. I should realize we haven't read any of Kafka, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Also, uh, apparently a farmer just grows hydroponic turkeys. Mm-hmm. That's how it works now. Yeah. And uh, they order their food on Thanksgiving from Jimmy John's 3.0 because it doesn't arrive. <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay, you guys, I, I, th- I thought what we could do on the podcast here was a science experiment to demonstrate these two different principles. That's what I need, actually. I don't okay. really understand what's going on here. Okay, Dyson, so, can you hold this target yeah, no in the problem. air, please? Uh-huh. Two hands. Uh-huh. Two hands. Hold it away from uh-huh. Hold now, it away from your face. Now we're going to shoot a gun at you. Yeah, get your holographic gun out, John. Okay, John, shoot that holographic gun right at the target. <laughs> wow. Again. Okay. Wow. Good, good shooting. Thanks. So we've got some holes in a target now, and now, um, um, John, can you can you?
Can you reach over there and open that cooler? I've got some hydroponic turkeys just waiting. Open. <laughs> Whoa, hydroponic turkeys. These are crazy. They're so watery and weird. Okay, Dyson, grab that axe. <laughs> okay, so that one's dead. Wow. Great job. Okay, so we've got a, a target with holes in it, and we've got a dead turkey. What have we learned? Uh, hydroponic turkeys are weird and watery. <laughs> True. Yep. Is that it? That's pretty much. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm a really good shot because mm-hmm. those are exactly ten centimeters apart. Yeah. Which you know makes sense according to the according to the book. Um, yep. That's about. That's well, yeah. Enough. The experiment would have worked any other way. Mm-hmm. It's true. It has to be exactly ten centimeters <laughs> apart. Because any irregularities mean something entirely different in this tiny person's universe. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Good work. We just did science. Yeah, was, we scienced it. <laughs> Do we actually want to explain what happened, or, or we just leave it? Leave if it, it helps. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that demonstrated pretty clearly what the I mean, shooter and the farmer hypothesis is. They either get it, or they don't. Exactly. So, your move, universe. <laughs> yeah, I feel I feel all this science weapon part gonna play a big role in the next book, and because they don't in this book there's not really like fighting or something like mm-hmm. physical Chinese kung fu or something like that. This is like this science mm-hmm. war, like fighting, like this kind of weapon. So yeah, yeah. Any warring that happens in this book is fairly hypothetical, except yeah. in the very beginning. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so let's. There's there's three parts to this book. We talked about the beginning with the Cultural Revolution. We the next early two thousands on mm-hmm. Earth. Yep. It's like forty plus years later. That's right. And then we find this video game called the Three Body Problem. And then later we find some aliens. Let's say. If I could generalize the book that way, I think that's maybe helpful. So. So the three-body problem is, is a real physics problem, right? Right. Yes. Um, which, I don't know, do you want to explain what the, the actual three-body problem is? I'll read a footnote about it. All right. <laughs> How about that? That's open Wikipedia. This What's is that? Audio, audio book? Come on. <laughs> what? You know Jimmy Jones, you don't know Wikipedia? What are you talking about? <laughs> Nothing. I know Wikipedia 3.9. <laughs> okay. But you have to give me, you have to give me the yeah, the number that comes after it. Yeah, is that uh, where the they version? Make, that's where they that's where they make all the uh, wicker spaceships. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Wicker um, nurseries. Mm-hmm. Pediatric. Is that right? Am I dumb? <laughs> well, let's just get into this uh, body problems. <laughs> I mean, you understood science earlier. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> Who understood science earlier? Me? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm really smart. <laughs> <laughs> so, the three-body problem. Author's note. How three bodies would move under the influence of their mutual gravitational attractions is a traditional problem in classical mechanics. Blah, blah, blah. Basically, you got three bodies, <laughs> such as the three of us, sure. I think. And how our gravitational attraction attracts or repels the three. So in a classic two-body system, such as a planet and a moon, one, Mm. essentially the smaller one, will orbit the bigger one. Pretty straightforward. 
we know that across the galaxy to be true across the universe yep but when you've got a third one it essentially i guess becomes this more like variable where where let's do another science experiment guys okay, okay. everybody everybody uh uh Get in a circle around each other. Okay. Yep. Good. Dice a little closer. Yep. And now we're going to run in circles around each other. John, you float, I guess, because yep. your feet aren't touching the ground. Okay. Now go. Whee! Wow. This is so unpredictable. Yeah. Oh, chaos. Like, oh, steady. Oh. Whoa. Oh, we bumped into each other, Dyson. Oh. And that's the three body problem. It is a Great. problem. I like it. Do you understand now? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Yeah. More than before. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Well, that isn't the thing, because this actually probably doesn't have any relationship thing. to the, the experiment we just did. The thing. This is the thing. Uh, well, so, yeah, I mean, the three bodies that are of, I guess, roughly equal mass, probably, because in this... Yeah, in, in this important. world, in, <laughs> I'd say we're roughly is, equal mass, the three of us. Yeah, exactly. I'm a little bit more ethereal yeah, in my true. mass, but... Uh, anyways, uh, if three bodies of roughly equal mass start, you know, rotating around each other gravitationally, um, yeah, unless you know, well, even if you know, I guess, the initial conditions, is that correct? If, if you don't mm. know the initial conditions, then you can't know oh, exactly, yes. you can't predict where they're going to be because um, the different mathematical vectors and them crossing past each other and yeah it's it just is really it's too complex it's mm-hmm. well not sounding too complicated it's literally unsolvable unless you know exactly what their mass is and their initial trajectories okay. and maybe wow. not even then you can figure it out yeah. okay um so yeah i mean it's, it's it's a it's a problem of mechanics that cannot be solved and so i mean why this is um why the three-body problem is so important in the book actually uh, is that this alien world that we come to know, uh, Trisolaris, uh, they're they a planet that has three suns. And so, and, and they talk about chaotic eras and what's the... Stable. And stable eras. Uh, so a chaotic era is when they are not rotating around one of their three uh, stars. Uh, and a stable era is when they are rotating around one of their three stars. And so sometimes, you know, when it's a stable era, uh, they can grow food and they can, you know, predict how warm it will be and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And in a chaotic era, it often gets either wildly cold or wildly hot wow. uh, and their whole civilization gets destroyed. Uh, and so this is why they're actually looking for a different planet to inhabit because, you know, well, even if they could solve the three-body problem, you know, and be able to predict when stable eras will happen... Uh, they still, you know, occasionally have to <laughs> basically die or, mm. or or prepare for, you know, most of their citizens to... That's tough. To go. Yeah, yeah, it is real tough. So um, just like, a, can, can, can the people on Earth imagine, like, Earth, just Earth has three songs? Right. And, but yeah, yeah, it wouldn't even be that big of a problem if you orbited around them uh, with a knowable... Like at a knowable sort of pace, but the real problem for this planet is that you know they never know when they're going to be like orbiting around one one of their any any of their three suns, uh, and wow. so yeah, you know one for one day it might be nine million degrees on the planet, mm-hmm. and one day it might be you know, and for like a year at a time it might be pretty mild, and they can actually you know survive then. 
So that's the real problem. It's, it's not so much actually that they exist rotating around these three suns, orbiting around these three suns, but uh-huh. that they can't ever know uh-huh. what it's going to be like, what the conditions on that planet are going to be, and that because they're the least massive in that system, they're going to eventually fall into one of the, one of the stars, mm-hmm. uh, oh, no. which is why they really need to leave, actually. Because well, even if they would solve the three-body problem, which we learn later on, because mm-hmm. uh, they're you know sort of desperately trying to solve it, and once they realize it doesn't matter, because even if they solve it, eventually they're going to get you know sucked into one of the stars. Mm-hmm. Um, so that essentially is a three money problem. Yeah. So, so that was probably you know I think what our experiment was probably good enough. I didn't need to go into all that. So you mean you mean their technology, their 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 this civilization is like a higher like. More advanced than Earth, right? Well, seems to be. Seems to be right. Well, so the, the well, the way, the only way that we learn about this other civilization is through on Earth in the book, uh, through a game called Three Body, mm. which is a computer yeah, game that yeah, you basically put on a full body suit and you feel all the sensations of existing in the world. And basically, you're just there trying to solve the three-body problem mm-hmm. so that this place can exist. Um, but, you know, mm-hmm. the end of every game ends with the civilization of basically dying out. Oh. Um, and so, I don't remember the total number of civilizations that we got to. Yeah, 200-something. Yeah, just over 200, I think, is the last one we went through. But basically, at the end of the game, it'll say... Uh, civilization number 101 uh, perished due to the three suns melting every, you know, melting all the civilization. Mm-hmm. And uh, please play again later. Mm-hmm. And oh, and they also oh, they reached the industrial age. Oh. So it's based on Earth history, mm-hmm. um, and we don't learn that until later, actually, either. But the game was de- designed by this group of people that's trying to basically get these people to come to Earth. And, and they want to get earth, you know, earthlings familiar with, familiarized with this, this alien civilization. Uh, and so characters in the game are like famous historical mm-hmm. figures from Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, and actually one of the things I thought was interesting was how when we are first introduced to the game, it seemed like if you solved the three-body problem within the game, maybe this alien civilization would actually be saved by it. Um, like it seemed like there was more of a tie, but we, then we later learned like this game is just basically propaganda for this yeah. organization on Earth to try and like, like sort a bomber. of yeah sort of yeah exactly yeah. to bring them to bring these people actually to Earth. Um, so that was yeah I guess the video game seemed way more important mm. yeah. when we were introduced to it than it actually ended up being. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was pretty interesting too. Which is the, pro- the it being propaganda probably has some sort of political ramifications for you know we started with this like the Cultural Revolution like yeah, propaganda and its relationship yeah. to that yeah. part of history. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It probably had deeper significance in, in that way. Like you know, it seemed like this hugely important thing, but actually, it's like you know they're just trying to get you on the side of mm-hmm. of the aliens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we we first. Find out about the three-body problem. I'm tired of talking. <laughs> yeah. Well, while you were doing that, I, I will say I was uh, typing into my uh, my control panel over here. Your typey box. Mm-hmm. My typey box. 
there's within the book there is a web address mm. uh, and so I just I typed it in here and oh, it it pulled something up actually but really? uh, I can't read any of it Dyson wh what does this mean what is <laughs> does it say you're an idiot for typing this in <laughs> English letters a B C D F G the Samsung it's just a Morse code. Okay. You know well, do you think if I if I go further into this, the Trisolarens will uh, eat my body? I just, I, well, it's I, my body. <laughs> so we have audio book on this podcast. Or we was that just like an audio website? Yeah. So, you know, we just read because he read. It was audio booking a website. <laughs> it really reached new levels of hey, just listen to us read yeah. <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> Uh, which everybody loves. Mm -hmm. If um, if this is a, I don't know if this is a good time or not. If if you'd like to listen to us do something else, we do have a a, a regular segment on this show. <laughs> no, we don't. do you remember? We do have <laughs> one regular segment. We have. Yeah, mm -hmm. I do remember. Dyson, um, are you prepared for this? Yeah. I, I, Dyson's I, I, yeah. karaoke corner. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> so, uh, song. Couldn't be better. So Dyson, um, since he's traveled through time and space, um, Moon was my last destination. The Moon, that's right. Moon. Um, but you've been you've been teaching us all these great songs, yeah. and we've been singing them at the beginning of every podcast. Mm -hmm. And so we were wondering if you had another song that um, you could teach us right now. Yeah, I on do. The show. Yeah. Let's let's do this. Uh, so just just do what you did last time. Just write the words down on a piece of paper. In mm -hmm. in English letters, please. Yes, please. Let's let's uh, call about. And call. then you just start, and we'll follow. Okay, yep. Let me let me write this. Okay. Uh, Hand this to you. The yep. the first. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah. So the today the song I'm gonna introduce to you guys is called. Omaha. 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 That's a funny yeah. name. Yeah, by the by, this band called uh, uh <laughs> damn it, I can't remember. So <laughs> that's fine. The universe is probably the now. Omaha Singers is what okay, they were called, yeah, right? Okay, yeah. Three, two, one, go. Omaha, somewhere, somewhere in middle America, America. get right to the, the heart of matters. matters. It's the, the heart that matters, matters more. Think, Think you better turn your ticket in and get your money back at the door. Uh -huh. Great. Good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. I like that one. You do like yeah, it? I like it a lot. I like it too. I like it a lot. Yeah. I mean, we picked up the actual, like, the inflection of how it, how it all changed. It was nice for you to write down the musical notes there mm -hmm. above the lyrics that you wrote too. So we knew, you know, how to, when to sing high and when to sing low. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, yeah Thanks yeah, a lot, yeah. Dyson. Yeah, yeah. Great stuff. And that was Dyson's karaoke corner. <laughs> what a silly, what a silly intro and outro, but Whoa. it's great. Yeah, the sound effect machine has really got a lot of sound effects. Yeah, that one was pre-made, actually. It's weirdly, yeah. yeah, came with the ship. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's great. Mm -hmm. Well. And now it's time for your listener challenge. Uh, today's listener challenge is brought to you by Leica cameras. Leica, you better Leica it. 
Um, so today's lesser challenge. The question is: So uh, uh, again, I I don't remember his actual name. Wong, just Wong, 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 Wong who becomes meow. Wong Meow, who becomes <laughs> the cool. main character in I would say the final act of the book. Mm-hmm. So at, at a certain point, he starts feeling very paranoid because one of his well, because he, he's a big photographer, uh, and he starts taking photographs. And there's timestamps on these photographs, and it seems like a countdown. And he does all these different tests. Uh, he has his family members take photos with different cameras, and they there's no timestamp on their cameras, but there is on the ones that he takes uh, with the same cameras, etc. I'm not gonna do a great job of explaining it, but that's not the important thing because this is your listener challenge again, sponsored by Leica cameras. So Wang's Wang's Yes. Wong's camera is a Leica M2 from, and your listener challenge question is, what year is that Leica M2? Uh, I'm going to give you, I'm not going to give you a hint. Uh, it's a Leica M2 from 1988. Uh, so, listeners, if you could please call in, fax in, uh, whatever you need to do to get in touch with us. Mm-hmm. Just come by the podcast. I'd love to talk to you. Uh Tell me that it's not a like 1988 Leica M2, and you will win a fabulous prize, uh, which I'm not going to reveal until somebody wins it. So disprove me, and you will win something. Uh, and that was your listener challenge. Sponsored by Leica. All right. Really great listener challenge this week, John. Thank you. Yeah. So a couple other things I want to bring up just to maybe get all the facts on the table. Mm-hmm. Since we're talking about science, what else? Yeah, we're talking else? about tables. Tables, they should have four legs, if you ask me. Facts. Omaha, somewhere in middle America, that's a fact. It is a fact. Okay. I want some podcast gold before this week's axe to grind. Choo, choo. Uh, this week's axe to grind comes to you from tables. <laughs> Why do they have to have four legs? Seems like it'd be way more efficient if they had two, if you ask me. Uh, tables are bullshit. Two legs are bust. Thanks. That was this week's axe to grind. <laughs> really great axe to grind this week, John. That's, I'm grinding that axe. Yeah. On the, on the two superfluous legs of a table. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> You go. Oh, so the other things I want to talk about are well, one back to this idea that there's a lot of different ways or different perspectives to view reality. Um, so that we talked about the farmer and the shooter, or the shooter and the farmer, as you like it. We talked about well, no, we didn't talk about some of these other models. So I, I'd like to read just a few more examples of some of the other, let's uh-huh. say, different ways to view reality that are proposed in this book. So Audiobook. There okay. we go. Yep, a lot of audiobooking is going to happen. So at, at one point, we go back to Red Coast. This is the point at which I don't think that very many people know about the actual contact with the Trisolarans. Yeah, and maybe just a brief aside. Like, Oh, yeah. Were you going to talk about how, or what the actual purpose of Red Coast was? Because I don't think yeah, we actually said okay. that. Right? Yeah, let's, yeah. Let's, I mean, just, I mean, just briefly. So satellites. We, There's some satellites. Well, yeah. I mean, there, so there are satellites there. We talked about that. Yeah. Um, but we didn't, like, 
so when we talked about it, we didn't mention like it seemed like the satellites were for or the um, the radar dishes that were at Red Coast. Mm-hmm. You know, people thought that they were making a weapon with it, or um, you know, all sorts of different ideas came about from the locals who didn't actually know what it was used for. That's the 1960s, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I oh yeah. 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 70s, right after the Cultural Revolution. Yep. Wow. Um, but what it turns out in the book that it was actually being used for was to try and communicate with extraterrestrials. Wow. Because it seemed like, dur- I mean, during this time, right after this time sort of led into the Cold War between the, the United States and the Soviet Union, which um, became the two major superpowers. But um, basically the thought was whoever would be able to contact extraterrestrials first would have a huge leg up in the mm-hmm. same way like in a similar way that um, the development of atomic weaponry was considered like mm-hmm. or the most advanced or going to space or you know however you could prove your dominance over the other um, superpowers became the really important um, uh, things that we sort of long for so so that's really what in the book the red coast base is used for us to try and communicate with extraterrestrials mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. turns out they did it mm-hmm. wow. they really did it well i mean that makes sense oh I, I was thinking i'm thinking about my life you know it's like the i was sent to the universe like uh, 1980s mm-hmm. so like 20 years ago china is working on this red coast thing that makes sense sure i'm a environmentalist like a I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was sent to the universe to like looking for this aliens, right? Yeah. Oh, so you're actually that like I don't know that before until I you were sent out by Red Coast. That makes sense, right? Seems likely. You said before you your yeah. your team would send you here hither and yon, and you didn't know where or when. I mean, to be I mean, I, this is a realization I just made. Oh my god, uh, Dyson did it. Mm-hmm. You know, this book is science fiction Mm -hmm. but he actually made contact with extraterrestrials that's you and me brother science fact high five (laughs) (laughs) that's a good one I'm happy that I could make my uh, hands solid to actually make some sound when we slapped hands Mm -hmm. it's a trick I've been trying to learn but uh, (laughs) but yeah that's you know pretty interesting it's a a real tie into this book Mm -hmm. is that uh, our friend Dyson here is uh, is the achievement of Red Coast Mm -hmm. yeah What's it like to be the first uh, Earth creature to, you know, have contact? Well, you know, I was just like, I feel like I was a, I was the first step on the plan. Mm-hmm. I just was sent to the universe kind of randomly, just mm-hmm. wandering around in the universe. Sure. Uh, it's kind of aimless. It's so, kind of fun. do you imagine that the rest of your team back, back uh, oh, in the 1980s... Teammates. Your teammates. Oh, teammates. Are you? Do you imagine that right now they're they're worried that uh, some alien creatures are holding you captive on their space pod nine hundred years in their future? Maybe. Or, Maybe. You shouldn't worry about that. Yeah. Well, okay. That's definitely not happening. Yep. Okay. But however, the people are, <laughs> in the book, the people on Earth worried, mm-hmm. right? Worried about this same. Mm-hmm. Right, and actually, glad you said that because mm-hmm. that's. Almost exactly where I was going to go earlier. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole bunch of things right around at some point. I guess this is the point at which they do know that they've made some contact or that there is someone else. Audiobook. Scholars found that contrary to the happy wishes of most people, 
it was not a good idea for the human race as a whole to make contact with extraterrestrials. The impact of such contact on human society would be divisive rather than uniting, and it would exacerbate rather than mitigate the conflicts between different cultures. Hmm. So that, that was one perspective. At another point in the book, and I do not remember what character was saying this, almost the opposite, saying, well, it would actually unite all the countries on Earth because now we would have, like, we would have a common enemy. Yeah. Um, which would be these extraterrestrials. Mm-hmm. But then the, the, the other just thing that I think is interesting, just explain what this Red Coast project was. The first one that got sent off, it seems like, on page 171, was maybe by some of these, like, uh, radical youths who somehow sent this off. Message to extraterrestrial civilizations. I'm going to audiobook a lot of this because it's very good. Mm-hmm. Attention, you who have received this message. This message was sent out by a country that represents revolutionary justice on Earth. Before this, you may have already received other messages sent from the same direction. Those messages were sent by an imperialist superpower on this planet. That superpower is struggling against another superpower for world domination so that can drag human history backwards. We hope you will not listen to their lies. Stand with justice. Stand with the revolution. So the United States, I think, had already sent out um, that like metal-plated, like, here's a drawing of proportional man. Here's the Pythagorean theorem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these these uh, radicals are like, no, don't uh, don't pay attention to that. They're uh, they're bad dudes. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> well, I think so. This was. I don't think it was actually sent out, though, from my understanding. So it says, message to extra- extraterrestrial civilizations, first draft. So I think, actually, oh, yeah. this was, you know, th- this was, again, like, <laughs> it seemed like a very, like, emotional mm-hmm. uh, first, uh, yeah, again, first draft of what the message should be mm-hmm. to these um, extraterrestrial oh, yeah. civilizations. So I don't actually think that message was sent out, but it'd be hilarious if it was. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, because later yeah, on they, they, they state the uh, the fourth draft because they omit the second draft and the third draft, and they they re- they show the fourth draft, mm. which was you know a lot more. I don't Refresh. know. Yeah, well, professional, but also like politically correct, and yeah, and also stating the, the real need for maybe an external force to. Maybe even help them mm-hmm. unite. Like it says, yeah, we have problems, but we're trying hard. Essentially, versus, mm-hmm. you know, we <laughs> versus, um, yeah, you guys have heard messages before, but we're the best. Yeah, you know, it was trying to be a little bit more like aware of its own context, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, that, yeah, that, that first one was like something that you would scribble down in your uh, in your juvenile notebook, mm-hmm. saying people just don't understand and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm way smarter than all these other knuckleheads. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess, maybe. Yeah, I, I think that's right. At some point, they do make contact with the Trisolarans. Ye Wenj, I can't remember her name now. Wenjia? Wenjia. 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 Is the one who contacts them and basically says, hey, humans are messed up. You need to come fix this. Mm-hmm. But then the first Trisolaran to send a message back says... Basically, do not respond. Do not respond. Basically, yeah. the Trisolarans are a warlike species. We will destroy you. I'm a pacifist. Mm-hmm. Stop responding. Right. And Ye Wenjia continues to have this conversation. And says like, she no, please care. wipe us out. We right. call out 
her dad was killed in the Cultural Revolution. Mm-hmm. Right. A big reason. Yeah, I mean, like we were saying earlier, like that definitely was something that impacted the, the rest of her life's decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, a world that would kill her father for essentially defending his, you know, mm-hmm. rigorously investigated beliefs mm-hmm. um, doesn't deserve... I mean, does doesn't deserve basically the um, mm-hmm. to to be d- defended or protected from these hypothetically like more intelligent races, mm-hmm. like these people that are, you know, because that is sort of the weird delusion often from um, from different cultures who haven't yet, as we have, haven't yet made contact with other civilizations, is that. Um, you know the idea that any time in Earth history that I've, I've come to know, uh, or, or a, a huge history of that, is people going to places where they didn't exist before. Mm-hmm. So um, you think about the colonization of North America by European, uh, mostly European peoples, and they go there and wipe out the native civilization uh, in, in sort of their own like idea of destiny, what their own destiny is. So. If you imagine that on a very galactic scale, intergalactic scale, um, <laughs> if you know a race or a civilization that's going to come to a new planet is probably going to do something similar. Mm-hmm. Like this planet is is interesting and useful and full of materials that we can use as our civilization. Mm-hmm. That you know the the the, the natives, the uh, the stupid natives, can't mm-hmm. you know, don't don't deserve to have the the grace of existence because we are more inte- more intelligent so um, that's kind of an interesting point there um, how well, did we get onto that point I don't know. it doesn't matter because <laughs> well here's here's what I start here's what I thought started to get very interesting as well so at the be- beginning of the book when Yi when Jia is working uh, cutting down trees with her other crew there in the forest that's, a, that's a sin too that's a sin Oh yeah. During the Cultural Revolution, um, and afterwards, it's kind of the educational. You have to experience all these cutting trees, these activities to experience your like old. I don't know history, Chinese yeah. history, mm-hmm. doing s- similar things like everyone before right. you go to college. Yeah, so even if you're um, an intellectual, like experiencing the life of a laborer, for instance, yes. like everybody's sort of the same. Yes. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just to summarize some of the movement of the whole book, and here's where I, I'm curious about how it ended and yeah, yeah. the conclusions drawn. So mm-hmm. very early on, we we see her. There's some trees that are chopped down, and she's essentially sitting there, feeling sad about it, and feeling like no one else who's cutting down these trees cares about it at all. There's one other character at the point at that moment who never shows up again, who's a reporter, and they feel some solidarity about like we're the only ones who care, right? Um, <laughs> not I, I said that like they were really angsty like teenagers, but <laughs> I didn't Nobody mean gets it that way. Us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's that's when they're in Silent Spring. Mm-hmm. No, I I think that they actually do mean it in a way that, that felt sweet. And, and actually sympathetic towards maybe we shouldn't be clear cutting this forest. Like mm-hmm. this tree is as old as like whatever dynasty. Like it's it's this many hundreds of years old. Mm-hmm. 
And so there's this moment of really like heartfelt appreciation from her. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's how we're almost introduced to her. Later on, we meet Dashi, for instance. Mm -hmm. And he, yeah, he's the rough and tumble cop. His uh, styles, you know. Yeah. He got kicked off the police force because he's too whatever. Because <laughs> um, he gets too many results. That's right. Yeah. So and they want bureaucracy that's mm -hmm. inefficient. So he comes across as this like tough guy character, but again, by the I think by the end of the book, they almost switch roles to some extent where she's betraying humankind, mm -hmm. and he's looking at the opposite way. So there's this line that the Trisolarans send back that just says, you're bugs. Mm -hmm. And then there's this great scene where several of them are just like drinking themselves silly and Dashi shows up and he's like, no, we're bugs, man. Like, and brings <laughs> them out to the field where the locusts are destroying like all of these crops and says like, that's, that is it. Like, that is us. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point, Yi Wenjia is ready for these aliens to blow up the planet. Yep. Mm -hmm. So there's this really interesting shift that happens. The point I'm trying to make, which I'll just get into, is at the beginning where Yi Wenjia is having this sympathetic moment with these like historical trees, whatever. Later on, we are on Trisolaris, and we have this like traitor character, the pacifist, who sent the message that was like, hey, stop, stop communicating to us. Do not do this. We're going to destroy you. Stop. Mm, yeah. Mm. And he's being uh, punished by whoever is like in charge there. Yep. He says, "I'm tired of Trisolaris. We all that we do is survive, and essentially that's what Trisolaris has to do is find a new plant to live on because this other one has all these chaotic errors." Mm -hmm. And the guy, the Princeps, who's in charge of everything, okay. asks, "Like, so, like, so why? Like, why shouldn't we survive? Like." That's what we do. We survive. Mm. And this guy says, audiobook, <laughs> there's nothing wrong, of course. Existence is the premise for everything else. But please examine our lives. Everything is devoted to survival. Dot, dot, dot. Anything that can lead to spiritual weakness is declared evil. We have no literature, no art, no pursuit of beauty and enjoyment. We cannot even speak of love. Princeps, is there meaning to such a life? And so... He's asking a question that I think is very similar to what we heard Yi Wenjia asking early on about mm -hmm. existence and like why should the species survive. <sighs> However, it, oh, it gets confusing too. There's there's this note from the author in the back of the book in the English uh -huh. translation about like science rocks, guys. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. Yep. And it, it is like the Trisolarans trying to stop science. Because they think like the scientists are the ones who will save humanity. Well, uh, but on Earth. On Earth. Okay. Stop science on Earth. Yep. Yeah, I mean we because don't care. We're the scientists will figure it out. Us, so. Yeah. We're right. in the future. We don't care. I don't know. It's, exactly. it's, it's an interesting thing about like uh -huh. so. Yeah, so why would the Trisolarians stop the scientists if what's actually like the meaning of life is um, right. is this is is yeah. Well, I uh, think what, is love, right? right? I don't know. Yeah. So. Um, well, I think why they want to try and stop science in their in their invasion of the planet is mm. essentially like they at this moment in time have sort of a scientific advantage, or, or they've they've discovered obviously 
intergalactic travel. Yeah. Um, and so th- they're going to come to Earth and take it over, but it's going to take 450 years. Mm-hmm. Well, this because, can do this. It's doable. Yeah, they'll be there. They're, they're coming, but it will, it's going to take 450 years right. um, because they've built spaceships that will t- they can travel at one-tenth of light speed, which is pretty fast. Wow. Um, and it's only going to take 450 years because this is the nearest star to theirs. Um and so why they want to stop science on Earth is because, uh, and they mentioned this, like, um, Earth is only, I mean, they, they, Earth is this paradise that has constant, um, stable, um, what is stable? Stable era. Stable eras. Uh, I mean, it's not even an era because we've always, well, not always, but for millions of years have, um, just orbited around the sun at regular intervals. Um, and so they see it as this paradise, and, and so they somewhat criticize us I say us because I'm, I'm thinking mm, in terms things. of I'm thinking in terms of uh, yeah me being in the, the mindset of the protagonist in this book empathizing with them as you do when you read books uh, so yeah um, earthlings um, haven't done enough with the amount of time they've had with in this paradise essentially mm-hmm. but their scientific uh, achievement is at such a is a way more rapid pace than the Trisolarans. Mm. So in 450 years, even though the Trisolarans are ahead of uh, ahead of the Earthlings in mm-hmm. scientific achievement now, in 450 years, you know, mm-hmm. once they get even even close, they're going to wipe them off the map. Mm-hmm. Your Trisolarans stand no chance mm-hmm. in 450 years of rapid Earth yes. scientific achievement. So that's why they want to stop science mm-hmm. on the planet. Is because if they don't. At that point, they're going to be the lesser sort of civilization, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty interesting. Wow. But to jump back a minute, yeah. <laughs> um, I think one of the moments I found pretty interesting that maybe relates to to this era in Earth history, like the um, from like maybe the late 1960s till um, I guess the the moment in the in the present that we're Earth present that we're podcasting back to. There's a moment where. Uh, Ye Winjia is being interrogated uh, about her motives. She's, she's basically um, become a prisoner because they found out what she did. And so they ask her, you know, how did you feel about the things that you did? And, and she ended up killing, yeah, her husband and one of her other uh, superiors because they were going to figure out that, that she did this, that she, that she basically is betraying mm-hmm. uh, humanity. humanity yep. And, uh, and she says, uh, it's a very quick audiobook, I had finally found a goal to which I could devote myself. So yeah, I mean, basically she thought of these people, these people like they're going to come to save humanity, even, and even if they just take over the planet and kill everybody here, like they deserve it more than we do. Uh, they're a more benevolent race or something. But I think that, um, I don't know, that, that, that's that sort of attitude of there's nothing here worth maintaining mm-hmm. is maybe a very very specific to again that like era of earth culture like yeah. during in that history it's called like the postmodern condition which is in modernism there was this longing for um you know the new and the better but it came to a point where mm-hmm. what that was like what um the great achievement was in like moral aesthetic scientific terminology like what that was was less obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody really knew <laughs> what we were actually trying to maintain. Yeah, uh, and the you yeah. know the same way like 
Pi Solaris, they didn't have any science. Like they had, but they had a goal, which was let's survive. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, um, sort of spoiled humanity, which mm -hmm. which could always, you know, which you know had perfect environment for them to live. Like they didn't have, they, there was no like unifiable condition for them to get behind. Mm -hmm. So, so that's kind of interesting. Like, I think that's what Yi Wenjie was a little bit like. That's why she wanted to bring this other mm -hmm. society or civilization because at least they apparently know what they're after, yeah. even if it's just survival. Yeah, you could all behind that goal. Well, I thought. I mean, what you're saying as well about humankind at that moment. There was a really interesting use in this book of the word alienation. I thought so. And, and it may be different in the translation, but mm -hmm. so he's essentially saying that like Yi Wenjia and some others have become alienated mm -hmm. from the human race, Either. essentially using alienation as rejecting wow. of the human race and making oneself alien. Um, now, in this case, it literally identifies with an alien race mm -hmm. um, on another planet. And so that idea was, I mean, I, I thought super clever in terms of like the language, right? But mm -hmm. it also had a lot to do with, I mean, there was a very particular like class of people, like of these like very well-educated, somewhat wealthy class of people who primarily were the ones like ready for this alien race to come and blow everything up. Yep. Sort of had the luxury to, uh, to want that. Yeah. But yeah. that idea of actually like identifying with this alien culture on another planet and so making oneself alien from humankind yep. was just a use I had never considered before. Right. Mm -hmm. And it also has extra significance because it talks about the Cultural Revolution in China, which is based off of Karl Marx, uh, his communist ideas, which that's one of the main ideas in the Communist Manifesto is alienation from one's labor. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, there's you know, a million different like mm -hmm. ways that it connects to all these different stories, which I think was yeah, that was real clever too. Mm -hmm. I made a note of that. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. At this point, I can, I can, I can tell that's a good translation. Yeah, yeah. Do you think so? I think so. Yeah, yeah. The translator is his. I think his his parents are Chinese, and he's like totally born here, mm -hmm. so he can speak English and. Uh, Chinese both, so okay. I think he, he did a good job. Also, like his himself is a Sanfei writer too. Mm -hmm. He won oh, yeah, some few, few awards. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's and, uh, in the back of the book too. Yeah, he and the original uh, writer has a same family name, but they are not related. Really? I think, yeah, they are not related at all. Birth names. Birth names. Birth names. Yeah. Am I right? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this is not, I mean, not really the trajectory of what we were talking about, mm -hmm. but uh, but I just wanted to mention a few moments that I think yeah. have connections to previous books we've read. Oh, yeah. So, here's one. Uh, I'm going to audiobook this, uh, as we like to do these days. Yeah. Um, so, quote, To make an imperfect analogy... Human civilization was like a young, unworldly person walking alone across the desert of the universe who has found out about the existence of a potential lover, though the person could not see the potential lover's face or figure. The knowledge that the other person existed somewhere in the distance created lovely fantasies 
about the potential lover that spread like wildfire. Um, so I think that's, you know, it's super topical with the book, but that reminds me of a Martian Chronicle story mm-hmm. where uh, there's essentially two people left on, well, there's at least one person left on Mars that's just calling yeah, random phone numbers uh-huh. to try and, uh, to try and like just get in touch with anybody. Uh, eventually finds someone in a very far away place and just grabs a car and drives there. It takes a very long time. Gets there and this person is not only like very ugly apparently, but I think is also sort of insufferable and other like personality wise. And so despite the fact that these are potentially, and then they could also mate and you know, repopulate this place, but uh but they, they, he, he just drives off. Yeah. He just leaves. He's like, I can't, I couldn't stand this person. So it potentially dooms his entire race, yeah. which again maybe connects to this book. Uh, yeah, and it's a more humorous take on on this exact particular mm-hmm. thing. But I just, you know, I thought, I just you know, call back. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, John's callback corner. Oh yeah, you just call him back in the corner. Yep. Just call, <laughs> call him back. Call, Ain't no call him back. Call girl. him back, girl. <laughs> uh, and I can go into one other one that I didn't even mention and I desperately wanted okay. to in the previous book that we read, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, which, was, which was, I thought, probably the, one of the funniest little bits that happened, mm-hmm. which was, uh, so apparently there was this like, race of, of aliens in, the, in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that was going to come to, I think, Earth and take it over, you know, get their fleet together and we're going to go destroy this planet. But because they didn't understand the scale difference between their society and yes. the one that they were trying to invade, uh, their entire armada, the, all these all these ships that they had created, got just eaten by a dog. Mm-hmm. On <laughs> which I thought, which which made me think yeah. about like, what if Trisolaris is just a tiny planet, and they sure. do have ships that can go, you know, one tenth of the speed of of light, but they're just like on Earth, in Earth terms, just tiny ships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I guess we'll have to wait and see because apparently there's two more books. Exactly. In this, but I thought that was you know a funny story from the previous book that yeah. I was just constantly thinking about. Like, uh-huh. What if there's that one calculation that we mistook, which was, yeah, what if they're just a bunch of tiny people, right? Yeah, <laughs> in a tiny society. It, it is really funny, and and just even thinking about so in this book being on Earth and imagining this other race of of creatures whatever there's a lot of references that say like we don't really know what they look like we don't really know this and that this is this is a pretty serious book it doesn't make a lot of jokes but right. the one the one time that um i just laughed like dashi comes back to talk to uh wang meow and uh and says to him buddy you're the one who was right i never have thought that actual fucking aliens would be involved <laughs> and, and, and just that That's sentiment, like actual fucking aliens. Yeah. <laughs> sure. It's really strange because I feel like like Dashi is the only like like really fleshed out character in the whole uh-huh. story. Because again, we talked about like Italy. the whole thing seems like you know a coat rack to hang all these. And the coat the coat rack is all the real hard science, mm-hmm. and they just like hang the coats of like here's a narrative and here are some characters. But yeah, Dashi because he's yeah just kind of a troublemaker. Yeah, and, like has has characteristics which aren't which which don't seem to like strictly just push the story forward. Like and actually kind of derail the story in a lot of ways. But yes. also serves the purpose of like being the everyman or something. So I don't know. 
but but yeah, like Dashi is like the the one character that I really could like constantly empathize with. Actually, absolutely. Uh, even when he was being like the first time we introduced to him, like we're we're not supposed to like him. Like he's a sort of dickhead investigator that like just wants to cause problems for the the protagonist at that mm. point in time. But then yeah, I don't know. I thought that was pretty interesting too. One other thing I wanted to uh, I wanted to talk about All right. um, has to do with video games. Yeah, which weird. take you know. Video games take yeah. a big, big part in this book. We still have those here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we for sure do, and they're great. Mm-hmm. They're way better than all the stupid video games that exist. And you're present, mm-hmm. losers. Yeah. With one exception being Minecraft, which is an, an amazing game. Uh, and why it's so amazing and why I bring it up is because there's a moment in the three-body problem video game in the book where they basically create a super simple computer mm-hmm. inside of the game. Yes. So they just use people inside of the in the game to create a very rudimentary computer to, yes. to make calculations that they couldn't make otherwise. I'm glad you were here. Um, thanks. <laughs> you, n- you never say that. You're always like, I wish you were out of here, I, you big loser. I hate that you're here. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. That's, yeah, I feel more at home now. But, um, so yeah, w- what I brought that up is because I, I remember... That uh, at one point in time, Minecraft, this game that you guys should all be familiar with, uh, there were blocks in the game. If you don't know the game, just look it up or yeah. don't. It doesn't really matter. But essentially, there were people who created, again, very simple computing machines or computers inside of the video game. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, hypothetically, if it became robust enough, you could play... Like you could load Minecraft, the game, onto one of these computers and then play it with inside of the game. Yeah, which becomes really complicated, interesting, and hilarious, and amazing. Uh, but yeah, so I thought that was you know interesting. Well, specifically related to that though. So in this world, mm-hmm. there's usually someone who's like the ruler. He's standing on top of this pyramid or whatever. And in this case, they make this huge computing machine out of like thirty thousand people. Yep. But there's I, this was actually another part that I thought was kind of funny. So at one point, the emperor of some Chinese dynasty, and he just yells. Computer formation wow. and thirty thousand people get in computer formation, wow. and then there's this one detail that I think is genius, which is on page two sixteen. Um, so this is when they first like start initiating computer formation, mm-hmm. and there's just this one in the display formation closest to the base of the pyramid. A progress bar made of numerous green flags slowly advance, indicating the percentage of the self-test had been completed. So not only do you have the full computing machine, but mm-hmm. one of the functions built into this computing machine may have people is a progress bar mm-hmm. that shows like the percentage of what everyone else has done. Right. So it's super complex, right. self-referential, yep. this and that. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, which again, like, the yeah, just people raising green flags mm-hmm. <laughs> based on these simple inputs that they're given, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, I mean, also in some ways can help for the for the very like the lay people who don't know anything about how computers work. Like, it's actually kind of like super interesting and useful for describing that. Mm-hmm. Like, basically, all it is is so if you know a binary system, if you have a flag. You either raise it or you don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> and depending on that, allows somebody else to make you like more hugely complex functions can result just from whether the different amount of bits or, mm-hmm. or people in this instance are holding 
Looking at their flags or not. <laughs> well, guys, um, I, I got I brought these flags here, so I thought we could do another science experiment. Awesome. Uh, awesome. So everybody That's get everybody, everybody get a flag, and uh, you know, so we got black flag and a white flag. So I raise black, you raise the opposite. Okay, here we go. Makes sense. He's waving them a lot. Yeah, that's why it makes sense. I think we all yeah. understand computers now, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great job. Okay, yeah. Computers. Good job. <laughs> Thanks. That was probably the best audio description of computers ever done. Yeah, I think it's pretty you clear. You heard now. flags flapping around? Yeah. Now you know what computers are, <laughs> how they work. Yeah. You just go build one now, probably. Yeah. All you need some flags. And some flags and, and some... 30,000 people. Mm -hmm. Wow. And rustling sounds. <laughs> Sound is very important to create some computers. Mm -hmm. um, Gentlemen, have we solved it? Have we solved this book? body problem? I think we should um, start um, a new segment of the show. At this late hour? What? And I don't know what we would call it, but it's necessarily, well, it doesn't have to be at the very late part of the book, of, not the book, of the podcast. But it should be probably, uh, which we should just come up with a rating system for the book. Mm. So we each, you know, just rate the book on how how good we thought it okay. was. There's, well, there's uh, from the, the the history that we're podcasting back to. There's Roger, Roger, <laughs> Roger. Roger and Ebert. Okay. Uh, their two thumbs up system. Oh, each they they, they, thumb, they weren't thumbs up. They weren't the two headed reviewing monster. Yeah, Roger. <laughs> Roger. Yeah, Roger. Uh, he had two flags, and depending on how complex the machine was. Anyways. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we should all come up with our own personal rating system. Okay. And uh, you know, and how? I, I give it three bodies. Out of out of three. Just three bodies. <laughs> Good. Dicing? I'll give a I'll give a problem. It's a problem. It <laughs> one, is a problem. One problem out of how many problems? Well, one out out of one, I guess. Nice. Okay. That's hundred okay. percent. Good. Uh, and. Well, I don't really know <laughs> based on your host rating system if that was 100% or if it was actually... I don't know if he liked it or didn't. Just three bodies. Three bodies out of nothing. <laughs> okay. uh, out of thin air. Um, but I'm going to give it uh, two legs on the ground out of two. Awesome. <laughs> so that's 100% from me also. Okay. Awesome. So yeah, this is a great book. I really enjoyed it. Everybody should read it. It's pretty readable. I mean, yeah, in, in this uh, Chinese word, it's pretty smooth. Like, I, I read this to, like, three, in three days. Mm -hmm. It's pretty easy. It's kind Is of, that uh, Earth Days or Galactic Days? That's a good question. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think I'm going to guess Earth Days. Yeah, yeah Earth Days. <laughs> you Earthlings. You <laughs> really biased towards your Earth Days. Yeah, it's weird. Yep. Well, Dyson's probably about time for you to go back to your cage uh, <laughs> room. To my cage. Room, I mean. Room. <laughs> of course. I'll go back to my cage. So. It's time for me to go back to my Roomba. <laughs> mm -hmm. I just turn it on and it's like... And it's time for me to go back to my hydroponic Rue de Vegas. <laughs> Great. So... <laughs> Uh, we should probably wrap this thing out. Oh, yeah. We yeah, by, this by, thing by, out. by the way, uh -huh. the second book is, is called The Three Body Problem, Problem Dark Forest. Dark Forest. The three, body, the three Body Problem, Problem The Dark Forest. I don't know what's going to happen. I bet I Dark know. Forest is introduced. Dark Forest. 
Based on how big a role the three-body problem had in the three-body problem, I would guess the dark forest is going to have a pretty big role in the dark forest. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Okay. Okay. Got three body problems, but a bitch ain't one. Play that Minecraft, it's so fun. I build blocks with my people, move around the sequel. Dark Forest is kind of like Dark Crystal. Dyson. I don't know. I don't know. This same is like a problem. Here you go. I don't know how to solve this problem. Go ahead. Solve this problem. Maybe get another problem. I don't know. <laughs> yep. 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 <laughs> yep. Dyson said the word problem. Yes. A whole bunch of times. He said problem. You got problems? I'm going to solve them, Dyson. You're from China. Uh-huh. That doesn't rhyme with anything. I'm doing the same thing that you did. Just saying words going to get glued bits. Because that kind of rhymes. That's like we're out of time, but not. It keeps going because these beatboxers know it's fun. Like Minecraft. <laughs> Computers. <laughs> like spacecrafts of like, tiny people getting eaten by dogs. Like dogs. Like Chinua, that's frogs in Mandarin. <laughs> Beatbox is running out of breath, but not gonna let them off the hook yet. <sighs> gonna make sure my tongue's wet so I can keep spitting, so I can keep hitting these sick rhymes. In future times, I want some beers, space beers with limes, like Coronas. I think Corona is a space term. I think in Dune there's space worms. I think in other, <laughs> I think in other books there's more space terms. Space nerds unite. Gonna gonna be some fright on space Halloween. Uh, Chinois are green. <laughs> me keep continuing to rap his mean. Because these beatboxers are out of breath. Gonna meet their death. Space death, space breath. Space meth. Get you high. Not gonna lie, we're gonna fry on the sun. Or on Trisolaris, because there's three suns. Sun. Cool. Winter's day In a deep and dark December I am alone Gazing from my window To the streets below On a freshly fallen silent shroud of snow Oh 